Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Our scripture reading will be from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You may be seated. And good morning to you. When I came into the building this morning early, And it is. And then it just occurred to me that, that in this room, we worship God every week, have for a long time. And some days are beautiful like this, but we worship Him on days that are not beautiful like this. That's true not just on the exterior, that's true in our hearts. And, and one of the things that draws us together in a family, as we have here in the West Huntsville Church of Christ, is that fact, because some days you, you come here and you worship God, and what's going on in your soul is, is storm and pain, sometimes very deep pain. Other days the sun is shining and it's bright, but whatever happens, come what may, we come together and we worship our God in the name of Jesus Christ. I really appreciate what Stephen did this morning in choosing these songs, and they're just so very appropriate. I want to talk about the resurrection this morning. I want to start in the book of Mark. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 16, please. Mark chapter 16. And when you've opened up there, I want to kick up back just a little bit into chapter 15. Let's start with verse 43. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, Sanhedrin, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went in to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead. And calling the centurion to him, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. Now that's rather critical. It is to ensure, are you sure that he is dead? Of course, he was. Because not just the crucifixion, the six hours on the cross, but also the spear, the purpose of the spear, was to make sure that, that there isn't any chance at all that he could still be alive. The piercing of the internal uh, organs and the bleeding inside, and perhaps and probably I've always assumed it would be the heart, and especially if he was the body of Jesus somewhat elevated and the the spear being put in would mean that it it was without doubt that if there was any life in him, that would be taken away. And when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph, and he bought fine linen, took him down, 
wrapped him in the linen, laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock, rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed where he was laid. And when the Sabbath was passed, Sabbath means Saturday, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that he might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? And when they looked up, they saw the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed and said to him, or he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. They went out quickly and fled from the tomb. They were trembling and they were amazed. The word resurrection is, is a word that we use commonly here. Now, sometimes preachers having conversation will encourage each other not to use too many words that are only used in the church. That is, that if visitors come to hear us preach, they need to know the gospel in language that's plain, that, that doesn't require a dictionary for them, a theological, be careful about theological kind of talk. Well, there's a balance in there. But perhaps it's better for us if we don't just say Jesus was resurrected from the dead, but say that Jesus was fully dead. That's the only kind of death there is. And that he was brought back to life. In my lifetime as a preacher, I've, I've been to many uh, deathbeds and I've stood beside many caskets, just like most preachers. It never occurred to me, it never ever occurred to me that one of those people who was dead might come back to life. And the reason is obvious to you, and you never thought of that either. Hebrews 9 and 27 declares that it is appointed unto man once to die. And that Greek word means once and for all. It's appointed unto man once and for all to die, and after that the judgment. So we, we understand that. Jesus was dead, and then he was made alive again. The capstone miracle of Jesus is this one. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That, that is the pinnacle of the miracles, and it is the most convincing of all. Must have been awful at the cross when he was dead, and when Joseph and Nicodemus came and they took the body and they buried him. I mean, for the disciples, because the wrong side won. It must have been awful to think that the darkness apparently has more power than the light. To think that, that wickedness and sin somehow has made righteousness to yield, to, to, to learn. I mean, from the cross, and he's in the tomb already, and he's dead. And the very idea that, that force has an upper hand over love, and it was very discouraging. And what now? And where do we go now? We've given everything to this, to the movement of discipleship of Jesus. And what now? They killed him. He's dead. It's true. He's dead. But then bright Sunday morning, he rose from the grave. And the consequence of that for our lives is just, I mean, it's just huge. Because everything 
I know that because he rose from the dead, that he is God and that everything that he taught us is true. Now we don't hesitate about this. Now tell you something else. There's courage involved in this. You take those disciples after he was dead, but before the resurrection, and where do you find them? You find them in a locked room or you find them scattered and they're scared to death. And then Jesus rose from the dead. And what happened after that? That they're, that now they're full of courage. Now they're willing to die for it. Of course they're willing to die for it because that's how people are about truth. Something serious, something important. It is the truth. And it cannot change. It will not change. It will always be the truth. Say to those disciples, go ahead and ask them. What if it means your death? And it might, it might, you know. Yeah, it might. That's okay. That's all right. Because it's the truth. It has a way of changing the world. It has a way of changing the world's conception of immortality. Judaism couldn't give it. Paganism certainly couldn't give it. But Jesus Christ came to be the first fruits of those that slept. That is to say that he showed us that he had power over death. And that is the significance to your life and mine of the resurrection. All right, what I want to do is just spend a few minutes talking about what the Bible has to say. Now, you and I are, of course, familiar with the resurrection. I just... I just want to cover some scriptures that are so important. I'm not sure that we fully grasp the significance of the resurrection in our Christianity. The fact of the matter is you'll never see the backside of heaven. You will never see heaven if you don't believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. You never will. So it was anticipated in the Old Testament. That's my first point. It was anticipated in the Old Testament. Here's Psalm chapter uh, chapter 16 and verse 10. You will not leave my soul in Sheol. The word Sheol means the grave. You won't leave my soul in Sheol, neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. The word corruption means decay. The idea is that I, I, will, I will not be left in the grave long enough for my body to decompose. Now, you don't have to go hunting very far to know what he was talking about. The psalmist is talking about Jesus. And I know that because when you have the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2, Peter's going to quote this, and he's going to make the observation that a lot of those Jews thought David was talking about himself. He wasn't talking about himself when he said this. He was talking about Jesus, Jesus who would die and is now raised from the dead. And on that reality, he built his church, and now the church has its great beginning there in Acts chapter 2. It was anticipated in the Old Testament, but not just that. When you turn to the New Testament, the teaching is abundant. I, 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 reviewing this during the last several days, I've been amazed at how many passages. I know them. I'm, a, I'm familiar with them. But the quantity of passages about the, the resurrection is just pretty impressive. In 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in the first verse, or let's go down to the third verse, the Apostle Paul points back to the Scriptures. Now, I'm talking about the Old Testament. And, and you can think right now in your mind of passages that are about the crucifixion, the cross, and the resurrection in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53, Brother Holmes read this morning when we ate the Lord's Supper. The chastisement of our peace is upon him with his stripes we are healed, we're healed. And you think about Psalm 22, and they, they pierced my hands and my feet. You got a lot about the cross in the Old Testament, but also about the resurrection. And here's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, and that he added again, again, according to the Scriptures. Why is he saying that? 
is to concrete this in. The resurrection was anticipated in the Old Testament, but then you get to the New Testament and he says, it's true. It really is true. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4 says that it is the resurrection that declares Jesus to be the Son of God. Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, by wicked hands you've taken and you've slain him, you crucified him, put him to death. God raised him up, having loosed the pains of death because it wasn't possible that he was held by it. When you get to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, when the Bible talks about baptism, he's going to talk about the resurrection. Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And now chapter 3 of Colossians in verse 1, if you then be risen with Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean? It means that baptism was a, the imagery of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Now don't you be trying to put sprinkling for baptism in here because it just won't work. He says we're buried with him by baptism into death. And what the resurrection is, is the picture of us coming forth in newness of life. New Testament's full of this. And then number three, the evidence. The evidence of Jesus coming back from the dead and being alive again is not evidence like we say, let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. I don't mind you telling me. I think that's a wonderful thing, but... It's, it's not really verifiable, right? Sometimes we sing a song, and I'm not very fond of it. I don't think it's a bad song, but you, you, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Well, that's, that's good. I'm glad he lives in your heart. That's not verifiable. That's not really evidence. I'm telling you the information about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is substantiated with verifiable evidence. I'm talking about witnesses. So you just, you just walk with me in the next few minutes. I want to talk about the people who saw him after he was dead and now he's alive again. I mean, so you, you go to, to Acts chapter 1 and verse 3 and there's these 40 days between, he says, that Jesus showed himself after his death before his, uh, after his resurrection, that is, and before he ascended back to the Father, 40 days. And, and this is irrefutable proof. Who saw him? Who testifies? And so what I want to do is to show you, I, I say two, 10 reliable witnesses on this slide. What I really want to talk about is not just single witnesses, but sometimes it was groups of people. These are occasions where people saw Jesus alive again after he was dead. Now, Mary Magdalene first. And so you have Mark chapter 16 and verse 19, first day of the week. And it was Mary Magdalene who saw him first. All right, now here's number two. It was, it was Simon Peter in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now listen, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve. All right, so the first apostle to see Jesus after he was dead, now alive again, was Peter. All right, number three. There are two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Now, the way this goes is very interesting to me. It's in, it's in Luke chapter 24, and you remember about the road to Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. 
And so here is the day of the resurrection. So it's on Sunday, and these two Jews are leaving Jerusalem, walking on this road for these seven miles. And this man comes and joins them in their walk. Well, that wouldn't be uncommon, but it's Jesus. They don't recognize him. They don't know it. And he says, what were you talking about? You look like, well, it looked like you were sad. And they were. And well, we were talking about Jesus of Nazareth. And what, what things were you talking about? He said, what about him? And they said, you, you, you must be some sort of stranger. You, you mean you don't know about this? Everybody knows about this. And then they began to talk about it, that the, that the, the, the Pharisees, the, the chief priests, they, they brought up charges and they killed him. And he was a great prophet of God. He was a mighty prophet, full of good works. Now he's dead. And now, he, now he's dead. And this is the third day since he's been dead. So he's crucified on Friday, but this is Sunday. And Jesus began talking to them and gave them a gentle rebuke about their knowledge of Scripture. Don't you know? How come you don't know about the Old Testament? He didn't call it the Old Testament because the New Testament wasn't written yet. But he, he, he said, don't you know about what's in Scripture? And then he began to expound to them, to explain to them all through the, the prophets and the Psalms. Just to say that everywhere you look in the Old Testament, behind every corner, behind every shadow, there is Jesus. Everywhere you look. And that's a wonderful thing. I, I would have loved to have heard what he said on the road to Emmaus. They didn't know it was him, but he expounds these things. And so they said, no, look, don't go any farther. Come, come with us. And so he spends time with them. And then he's gone. And they realize who he was. It's him. They, they turn around and they go right back to Jerusalem and they find the 11. They find the apostles who are really excited because there's this testimony now that Peter has seen Jesus. And these two men say, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Let me tell you what we did. We just saw him. Now, it's really important, I think, for you and me this morning in this room talking about the resurrection of Jesus to try to imagine the excitement that must have been present when people, these disciples, realized he was alive again. You just just have to imagine that. And these fellows on the road to Emmaus, now they, they've got it. And so this is just pouring forth from their mouths. All right, here's number next. Here's number four. The apostles. Now I'm going to show you a few different occasions where the apostles see Jesus after he's been dead, now alive again. In this one, it is, it is without Thomas. So you have two readings. One is Luke chapter 24, and the other, same thing, a sister passage would be John chapter 20. And you need both of it, because John 20 is the one that, that says that Thomas wasn't there. All right, so Jesus comes to this room where the disciples are assembled behind a locked door, and, and they're, they're afraid. But he shows himself to them, and he says, come here, let me show you the empirical evidence. Put your, put your finger in my hand here. See the, my wounds on my feet. See, put your hand in my side. You can see that it's me. And they were afraid that he was a spirit, some sort of a ghost. And he says, ghost doesn't have flesh and blood like I, bones like I do. Come on, feel me, feel me and see. And they did. And of course, then they, they begin to worship him. I, and I think this is kind of interesting too. He, what he's trying to do is to cement in their minds that he really is alive again. He was crucified. They know it. 
They know that he was dead, and he's been in the grave these three days. Why? Why was that, by the way? You'd say, well, it's fulfillment of prophecy. That's right, but that's not all. It's very much like Lazarus. And how come Jesus waited so long to go and, and raise Lazarus from the dead? And that is so that people would know that they know that they know that he really was dead. Jesus was really dead. And he said, that Jesus said to him, you, you have anything to eat? He was hungry. He was, he was hungry. He's not sick. He's not, he's not suffering from utter dizziness because he lost so much blood and he's now he, it's not any, none of that. None of that is true. You got anything to eat? And they had some fish and some honeycomb and they, and they, and then so they sit there and they watch him eat and he's hungry and he's human and he's flesh and bones and he's, he's there in their presence. All right. So you have this meeting. Thomas was not there. So John chapter 20 points that out. Now you call him, we call him doubting Thomas because he comes back and they said, Jesus was here. He's alive. And, and, the, and Thomas response was, mm, not, listen, if I can't put my hand in the, the prince in his hands or where the spear went in, I just won't believe. I need empirical evidence myself. All right. So now we get to the apostles with Thomas. This is John chapter 20 and verse 26. It's eight days later, and they're meeting again, and Jesus returns. Now, Jesus doesn't hesitate to offer this physical evidence, and he does, and Thomas then worships him because, because he knows. Because he knows. All right, and here's the next one. Now we go to the Sea of Galilee. This is John 21. And you'll remember this because the disciples, Peter, have gone fishing and they're out there. They're, they haven't caught anything all night. And um, Jesus is on the shore. They don't recognize him. I suppose it's just barely dawn coming up and they can perhaps see a figure. They don't know who he is. And he's got a little fire going there on the beach, on the bank there. And, and so he calls out and he says, have you caught anything, boys? And the answer was, not a thing. Well, put your nets on the right-hand side. Cast your nets on the other side. And they do 153 fish. It was so heavy, the boat just about sank. And, and John says to Peter, it is the Lord. Don't minimize that. I'm telling you that they, they knew that the Romans had done their job and they took his life. They killed him and now it's him. It is the Lord. And Peter just, oh, Peter just goes, breakneck speed to get to Jesus and and here the disciples go they gather around him and he says give me some of that fish and we'll cook it on the fire for breakfast and so then he begins to to teach him and talk and it's this this occasion where he says to Peter I need you to feed my sheep do you love me I need you to feed my sheep and it's this kind of a restoration moment for Peter they were with Jesus now here's number seven the apostles in Galilee so in John 21, we have them on the bank of Galilee, and now in Galilee, Matthew 28 and verse 16. This is interesting because it says that the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. Back in Matthew 26, it says that before he died, here in the upper room where he institutes the Lord's Supper, just before the, the mock trials and the death, Jesus says, now, when I'm risen... You, you go into Galilee to this place that I'll tell you of. I, I, that's just fascinating. So he, he not only knew that in a few hours he would be dead, 
But when I'm risen from the dead, he knew that he would be risen. When I'm risen, then I'm going to meet you. You And I don't know what the place was, somewhere in Galilee. But you, you go there, and I'll meet you there. And that's what happens in Matthew chapter 28. They saw him. Now, number next. The apostles saw him at the time of his ascension. And we go to Acts chapter 1 for this one. They're still confused. There are things, there are, there are things that, they, that they don't understand yet. But, but what happens is they're with him, they're talking with him, and he ascends back to the Father. They watch him as he ascends back to the Father. And the angel says, you see him going up in heaven, but you'll see him come back again in similar matter, a manner as that. Here's number nine. Who saw him after he was dead? Who saw him alive again? Stephen did. Now, in, in Acts chapter 7, you have the stoning of Stephen. And then this remarkable occurrence. And Stephen is just about to give up the ghost. They've been throwing stones at him, and now the life is almost gone from him. The Bible says that he looked up into heaven and saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And there's a sighting. He's alive. He's alive. Now, here's the last one. Here's number 10. And this one is the Apostle Paul. And it's found in 1 Corinthians 15, but I want to show you something else because this is really critical. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, now that's Peter. He was seen by Cephas. And then by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some are fallen asleep, some have died. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. I'm the least of the apostles. I, want you to, I just want you to understand that it wasn't just the apostles, though. There was an occurrence, and I don't know more about it than what I just read to you, but there was a moment when Jesus was seen by over 500 brethren at one time. And then he makes this observation that some of them, by the writing of the, this letter to the Corinthians, some of those people were dead, but a lot of them were still alive. Now, why would you say that? What's the significance of that? Some have fallen asleep, but most of them are still living. What's the point of that? And the answer is that that you don't have to just take my testimony for the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. You can, you can go and find these people. They're not far from you. You can find them and talk to them about it. Ask them. Ask them about his resurrection. Did you know that he was dead? And was he resurrected from the dead? The same thing happens in Acts chapter 2 when you have the birth of the church. And Peter stands up and he preaches and he references the fact that Jesus was risen from the dead. And then he said, because you know this is true. As you yourselves know, you also know this is true. Did they? That's very interesting because 3,000 people are about to be baptized based on this testimony that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And he challenges them. He says he was resurrected. They took him by wicked hands and they crucified. They slew him. And he was resurrected. And you know it's true. If they didn't know that it was true, they wouldn't have been baptized. If they didn't know the evidence was true, you'd have a different reaction than what you ultimately have. Now, here's the fourth and last point. Everybody's hope of heaven is directly linked to this. 
Now, I said at the beginning of this sermon that if a person doesn't believe that Jesus was risen from the dead, he'll never go to heaven. You can't go to heaven that way. And why is that so important? Well, the Bible says it. Here's 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a lively, a living hope. Ready? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. How come we have that hope of heaven? You, you have it? You have the hope of heaven? He says it's by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. When you talk about salvation, you cannot separate it from the resurrection. Here's Luke twenty four forty six. Jesus said to them, Thus it is written, Thus it behooved Christ to suffer and rise again the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning in Jerusalem. That's what would be preached. And salvation is going to be contingent upon this reality that he really did die and he really was risen from the grave. Acts 17 says that in verse 30 and 31, that the judgment day is something you can be sure of because of the resurrection. Truly, the, the times, this is Acts 17.30, the times of this ignorance God overlooked or winked at. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent because he's appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he's given us assurance in that he raised him from the dead. You say, are you sure there's going to be a judgment day for all? And the answer is yes. How do you know? Because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's how you know. Every, every accountable man and woman has to obey the gospel to go to heaven. Everyone. Second Thessalonians 1.8. To you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty... This is the, ju- the judgment day. Revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's just really plain. You've got to obey the gospel. But now that's part of this lesson too. Obeying the gospel is part of the sermon about the, ascent, the resurrection of Jesus because of 1 Corinthians 15. Beginning in the first verse and coming on down, what he says is that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Right? There it is. Well, well wait, but I don't, I mean, you, I don't, you, well, why, how can this say we've got to obey the gospel? These are historic facts that Jesus was dead and buried, buried and resurrected. How do we obey historic facts? And the answer is, the answer is Romans chapter 6. We're buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. If we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, there's baptism. If we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. You can't go to heaven without the resurrection. You can't go to heaven without believing in the resurrection. Now, one more thing, and then I'm going to be finished. In this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says this. Everything about our faith, Everything we hope for, everything we live for as Christians. I mean, we've put all of our eggs in one basket. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified, the resurrection. I mean, that, that's, 
We've hung our hat on the, that reality that he is real and he is true and, and we plan to live a life after this one is over because of him. But what if he wasn't resurrected? What if, just use your imagination, what if there was no resurrection of the dead? And that's what Paul is arguing here because that's what some of the Sadducees were saying at that time. Now here's 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12. Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Okay, that's logical. But what happens then? And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain. That is to say that what I'm doing today, of course, is empty. It's, it's meaningless. It's, it's a waste of everybody's time. And your faith is vain also. How about that? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Everybody in this room right now who has faith, and I would say that's everybody in this room. Mm, it's plastic. It's not real. It, it's meaningless, really, if Jesus didn't conquer death. If he didn't rise from the dead, your faith is also vain. Yes, and he says, and we're found false witnesses of God. It's not just that I'm wasting your time. It's that, it's that I'm lying to you. I'm a false witness of God because we have testified that God raised him up. He raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead don't rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. I'm telling you, everything hinges on this one paramount capstone miracle, which is the resurrection of Jesus. You say, well, I've got, I've got confidence that my sins are forgiven. Oh, praise God for that. But if there is no resurrection, if, if it isn't true, then that is, that's false. And verse 18, I think, is always a powerful one. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, that is, they've died as Christians, have perished. You, you walk through a cemetery, and you've done it, and I've done it, and you think about those people you have known, and you look at those stones, and you remember them, and you long to be with them again, and we have that hope in Christ. And he says, if the resurrection isn't true, that those people are perished, because you've said your final goodbye. That's all there is. The last verse says in this discussion, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men the most pitiable. I've enjoyed this study. I hope you have. The resurrection of Jesus is something with which we're familiar. But I'm telling you, there's, there's a lot in the Bible about it. And it's elevated to this point where we, I'm telling you, everything is hanging on this. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came to this earth, took the form of a man, and he lived for a few years. He taught and he preached and he performed miracles. And the Romans took him by the urging of the Jews. And they nailed him to a cross. They killed him on a Friday on the following Sunday, early in the morning, he conquered death and was resurrected. He was dead and he's alive again. You and I have hung everything on this reality. And praise God 
for the reality and the truthfulness of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.